You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It's Monday, April the 25th. A little overcast here in TW11 today, but it's set fair for the week in Britain and in Ireland at any rate, and plenty to get our teeth stuck into with Punchestown starting tomorrow with the three-day Kipco Guineas Festival at Newmarket starting on Friday. Then we'll be looking deep into next week and building up to the Kentucky Derby a week after that and so on and so forth and on it goes. Big news over the weekend, David Yates, newsboy from the Daily Mirror, was that Inspiral, the longtime favourite for the Kipco 1000 guineas, would miss that race and would wait instead for the coronation stakes at Royal Ascot. She simply wasn't ready after missing a crucial workout during the Craven meeting. And John Gosden said he wouldn't be able to get her there, which is a great shame, but it throws the race wide open. Yeah, it's a terrible shame for the connections of Inspiral, who has been towards the fore of the betting for the 1,000 guineas pretty much since she scored at Sandown back in July. Um, she won the Star Stakes that day. Then there was the uh, the May Hill, And then, of course, she completed an unbeaten two-year-old season with victory in the Phillies Mile at Newmarket. And she's been a standout market leader for the Guineas ever since. Now, whilst it's bad news for her connections, and of course, I mean, I've never, I've never sat on a racehorse, Nick, never mind trained one. Um, presumably, there's not an awful lot you can do in the spring if, if, a, if a horse isn't ready uh, for, the, for either Guineas. And I suppose it's understandable that John Gosden and Thady Gosden weren't minded to Russia, given that there'll be uh, plenty of targets later on in the season. But her absence certainly opens up the race and it makes it, I think, an absolutely fascinating one from the point of view uh, of the betting market because it's essentially uh, tenebrism for or again, isn't it? That this filly that won the 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 first the very first two-year-old race of the Irish season last year and then returned from a six-month absence to collect the Cheveley Park stakes at Newmarket. She now heads the the betting. It, it's a question of whether people think she'll stay a mile. I think there's a, a a very very serious doubt about that, and that brings in fillies like Discoveries, uh, the full sister to Alpha Centauri, who of course won the Moyglare Stud Stakes for Jessica Harrington uh, last September. Last September, Homeless Songs, uh, winner of the Guineas Trial in impressive style for Dermot Weld. That was at Leopardstown at the start of the month. And then you've got Molivath for uh, Francis uh, Graffard. And behind her in the market is Tuesday. Lily Langtry is the dam of Tuesday, of course, who was uh, a dual winner at the top level for Aidan O'Brien herself. And just a bit of news for you, Dave, coming in. Charlie Appleby has confirmed to me this morning that Wild Beauty, the Fred Darling winner, will head to Newmarket this weekend for the Kipco 1000 guineas in preference to tackling the Poule d'Essay des Pouliches at Longchamp. Um, that had been the original plan, but Appleby says, quite simple, 
in spirals out, we're going to give it a crack. So Wild Beauty will go to the new market guineas, as will Mise-en-Seine, who's trained by James Ferguson, had a very productive two-year-old campaign last year, including a fourth in the Phillies mile behind in spiral. Uh, I've been talking to the trainer uh, this morning. It's obviously a shame for, shame for the Chivy Park and the Gosden team that in spirals out, but... You know, we're, we're looking forward to the run, whether she was in or whether she was out. We were thoroughly looking forward to the race. Um, uh, Philly's in good form. She obviously hasn't run this season. Um, so, um, you know, we're just uh, get it. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we get it to Sunday in good shape and she, she runs a big race. She's a, a, a really interesting contender. I thought she looked really smart last year when she won the prestige at Goodwood. Then she ran well behind in spiral against the bias, really, in the in the Phillies mile. Did you think that she was the second best Philly that day, even though she only finished fourth? I think everyone thinks she was the second best Philly that day. She was finishing very strongly. Um, and uh, she probably just, um, you know, I think, I think, yeah, no, I think she, um, I think she ran very, very well. Um, she's obviously going into the guineas with uh, a bit of course form, um, which is very, very important at the Royal Mile. Um, so I think she's hopefully she'll come on and you know if you look at her pedigree she was always going to be a better three-year-old than two-year-old so fingers crossed she can she can step up and run run big a big race for the owners. She of course also has the pedigree to excel at Newmarket being related to Guineas winner Speciosa and the Champion Stakes winner Pride so that's in your favour as well it also suggests that at some point in time she might be better over just a, a tiny bit further is that something that you think? Absolutely, you know, Sheikh um, Farhad and the Qatar team have, have always, you know, we've always said that um, her best trip would probably be over a mile two in time. Um, and if that's after this race or um, a couple of runs after, you know, how she runs uh, in the guineas will be a big in, uh, indicator of where she, where she spends the rest of the season. And she had that experience where she went to Del Mar and finished um, down the field in the Juvenile Phillies turf at the Breeders' Cup. She was only beaten three or four lengths, in truth. Do you think that that, that travelling has had a, a positive ex- uh, effect on her? I think she's in, in good order. I, I don't think it will have had a... I think it would have been a, a massive education for her. She's a very mature filly anyway. She takes, she takes everything in her stride. Um, and she wasn't phased by anything in America. Um, so from a maturity point of view, you know, we know we can travel with her um, because she takes it well. Um, she came back and she's been very straightforward all, all winter um, in terms of her, her training. So I don't think we'll have had a det- detrimental effect on her. I mean, you can you can put a line through the run. She ran very well. Uh, she had a draw on the outside and um, found herself in front and was probably doing too much too early, um, which is no. Nope absolutely just the way racing goes um but as far as her form is concerned i would put a line through that run and um no i think uh, like i said from a maturity point of view it certainly wouldn't have had a detrimental effect on her james ferguson the trainer of mise-en-scene and the thing about the 1000 guineas now dave is a really rich and diverse list of pedigrees and characters both equine and human James there, um, fellow fairly young trainer George Bowie would have big hopes with Cachet. Then you've got the sort of grand old timers, Andre Farb uh, with a runner, Dermot Weld, Jesse Harrington. It, it's a nice Anglo-Irish-French mix of exactly what a classic horse race should be. Sort of more traditionally big superpowers facing off against each other in the 2000 guineas with 
um, Luxembourg and possibly Point Lonsdale and others going for Aidan O'Brien and, and Native Trail and possibly Caribus going for, for Charlie Appleby. You were all over Native Trail, um, as you said rather boringly last week. Anything happened to, to change your mind on that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, for, for my money, I, I thought that Native Trail, I, I thought that everything he did, uh, everything he's done so far, I, I, I said, I think on the on the NLD a couple of weeks ago that when a horse starts at four to one on for a, a Guinea's trial, they're pretty much on a on a hiding to nothing. And the fact that you could come out of that and think that he'd probably enhanced his claims for the Guineas, I think that he did everything that we we could have wanted him to do. Um, that day in the Craven, and, and I think he's a worthy market leader personally. Well, there was supposed to be some pretty good jump racing at Auteur yesterday. There wasn't because there was industrial action on the part of uh, France Gallo workers and others. Uh, we're in febrile times, as you know. We just had an election in France that President Macron has won. Um, and whilst industrial action in France is not going to come as a surprise to any of you, it, it could have quite serious consequences if it continues. Uh, Catherine Ford, you'll know from her roles at Sky Sports Racing and Akidia, and joins me now. Uh, Catherine, this was a this was a big blow to a toy yesterday. What exactly has been going on? Yeah, huge blow on what was a race with uh, some significant trials for the big weekend, which will be back at Auteuil on the 21st and 22nd of May. That's the Grand Steeplechase, of course, and the French Champion Hurdle meeting. Uh, now, this industrial action came about following on from a meeting on Friday morning involving France Gallo, their trotting counterparts, Le Trot, and uh, unions, uh, syndicates representing a uh, race course and also training centre workers employed by the, uh, by the two companies or the two organisations. Now, these were annual obligatory renegotiation meetings for salaries for these workers. And following on from the meet or during the meeting, they failed to reach um, an agreement. So um, in on Friday evening, the union sent in a, a kind of a notification that a strike action was was possible. On, uh, or industrial action was possible on Sunday. So they did have a slight heads up that there could be problems. And so arriving on the course on uh, on Sunday morning, it became apparent to uh, to, to race goers and media and uh, and trainers that uh, there were going to be difficulties. There'd been an emergency meeting held at Toteuil from 10 a.m. with uh, France Gallo. Olivier Delois was there, the CEO. Also Jacques Détré, the vice president of France Gallo, who's in charge of... Um, uh, of jumps racing, there was also the um, RH, uh, HR, P, uh, human resources um, manager for uh, France Gallo, who was there, and the representatives, of course, of the the workers' unions. And uh, they also they failed to come up with an uh, with an agreement in that meeting. The syndicates, uh, the unions, were asking for a four percent uh, pay rise. France Gallo and Le Trot on the, on Friday were proposing two percent. And so just to add an extra bit of difficulty to the situation, um, France Gallo and Le Trot needed to be together to make an agreement with the uh, syndicates. And yesterday, the trotting authorities weren't present because they said that uh, to attend a meeting in this kind of very much under pressure situation was against their policy. So France Gallo were kind of making oral propositions, but they weren't able to put it in writing. And so they came out of the meeting and um, without an agreement, they called in the trainers to, France Gallo called in the trainers to inform them of the situation. And uh, they had a, 
a chat, a discussion, and then the the trainers went into the parade ring to try and talk and try and negotiate themselves with the unions. Um, anyway, after several, uh, well, not several hours, but a couple of hours of uh, toing and froing, it uh, became apparent that there was going to be no racing yesterday. So, uh, uh, so yeah, so everyone went home. France Gallo have uh, re rejigged the schedule. Um, seven of the races that were planned for yesterday are now going to be added to what will become a marathon meeting on on Saturday, an already existing uh, race meeting at Otoy, and then one which was reserved for AQPS will take place um, a couple of weeks later on. So, um, so that's kind of the situation mm. with Otoy yesterday, Nick. Yeah, I mean the question is. To what extent is this going to start driving a wedge through a whole load of really high-profile fixtures at the Paris tracks as we get into classic season? Or would you be confident that France Gallo can get it sorted out? Well, I would think they'll have to get it sorted out. Um, they do have a, another meeting scheduled this time with representatives of Le Trou Harness Racing Authority, France Gallo and the unions for, for Wednesday morning. So uh, that will, of course, be, be hugely important. I would imagine that well, they'll, they'll need to come to an agreement at that meeting one way or the other for the racing to be able to, to go forward. Um, now, it's interesting to note that this, um, this action and the, the, the workers involved uh, work on the Parisian track. So this for flat and jumps racing, this would kind of involve uh, Auteuil, Paris-Lanchant, Chantigue, Saint-Cloud, and also for the trotting Vincennes. Now today, Monday in France, we've got no Parisian racing. There's one meeting planned at Vincennes for the trotters yes, uh, tomorrow in France. So it'll be interesting to see what goes on with that. And then the next Parisian meeting is Paris-Lanchant on Thursday. So those are the meetings that... Uh, that are involved in this um, in this dispute, and um, and yeah, um, as you say, it's uh, not rare to see uh, industrial action in France, and it's uh, unfortunately a way of people to be able to get to get their own way. Um, but at the same at the same time, inflation is rising, costs of living are rising, and uh, the unions argue that uh, they're just uh, asking for for rises in line with with inflation. And just just to precise, um, uh, I mentioned France Gallo proposing a 2% increase when they were asking for 4%. That was actually 2% plus bonuses, but that was considered to be unsatisfactory by the syndicates, the unions. Catherine, thanks so much as ever. No worries, Nick. Right, let's talk about what we enjoyed over the weekend as we try and put the British jump season to bed. Five winners for Nichols at Sandown on Saturday. You remember we spoke to his outgoing assistant, Harry Derham, a week ago on the pod and all his dreams came true with Grenatine taking the grade one celebration chase. Shark Hanlon took the feature race for Ireland courtesy of Hewick, the seven-year-old bought, as he said, memorably for the price of a cow and is worth rather more than that. Now might be a grand national horse for next year and plenty of headlines off the pitch as well as Nadine Doris might say, uh, because there was uh, fighting at Sandown and there was a bit of a, a scrap as to whether people should be allowed into the premier enclosure with white trainers, Dave. Yeah, where do we start? Um, let's start with the uh, the racing, first of all. As you say, that Paul Nichols went to Sandown with a cushion of 300 grand over Nicky Henderson. And I think he had a he had a treble on the card 12 months earlier. And that would have been uh, a four-timer had 
the had Enrillo been allowed to keep uh, the bet 365 gold cup but he bettered that here with a uh, a five timer i think it was odds of about 410 to 1 uh, admittedly that with a, uh, a a rule 4 but yeah it was you would have thought that the the headlines post sandown would have concerned paul nichols Brian Hughes, Grenatine, Kevin Brogan, J.P. McManus, Shark Hanlon, uh, as you say, Hewick, the, the the horse that was bought for the price of a cow. Um, and I know that uh, editorial judgment, of course, it's a subjective thing, but I'm sure I wasn't the only one surprised uh, to see the the Racing Post website lead for a good chunk of Saturday afternoon with uh, the story of the two female race goers who were denied admission to the the primary enclosure because they were wearing white trainers. Uh, what's your view on that? What's your view on racecourse dress codes? Should we have them? Uh, is it a problem? Is it a, an issue for the sport? Does it make the sport seem anti-Diluvian, stuck in the past? I think that, it, in first of all, in the case of the two race goers, I've got no sympathy for them at all. I think that if you buy tickets for an event, whether it's a sporting event or a concert or something like that, then the, the, the responsibility lies with you to check the, the dress code. Now, some people will sneer that uh, the dress code is small print on its the T's and C's, um, but I would say, well, th those are just clauses of the contract under which you buy your ticket. And so if they spent the money on Premier Enclosure tickets and they didn't read that white trainers uh, weren't going to be allowed, I don't know if trainers of any other colour, I wouldn't have thought so, um, then, uh, frankly, I say more for them. A, a more general thing, should racing have a dress code? Well, I think there are certain places where... You know, Royal Ascot is obviously one. The the, the Royal Enclosure, um, the ladies in the fi in their finery, the the gentlemen in their silk toppers. I think that that's something that uh, you know, even Jeremy Corbyn and his mates are going to struggle to have uh, torn down. If we look at a, a a setting like the Jump Finale at Sandown on Saturday, should that be? Should there be a, a dress code there? I think that's something for the for the tracks to decide. It may be that uh, for for certain meetings that you just say to people, you know, w we recommend that you wear this, but if you do want to turn up looking like a tramp, well, that's up to you. There were there were lots of correspondents on social media yesterday who gave us the impression that um, you know, despite chronic underfunding and a bloated fixture list, that British Racing's problems start and finish with the ability of people to wear uh, trainers and and or not to wear ties in the in the posh enclosures and I think that's a view that's very wide of the mark I, I, reading all this yesterday I, I found it very tiresome it, it's it's a very easy thing to do when you go to a a, a posh do you look at, at what the dress code is and if you can't if, if you can't read that then what are you doing there in the first place? Well, it should, racing shouldn't be a posh do, should it? It should be accessible to everyone. Well, it, it, it is accessible to everyone, uh, but there is, there is, of course, an element in horse racing that you go there and you dress up if you go in the posh enclosures. Like what you say, and I, I don't know, um, I, I think there is an element, may I say, of, of devil's advocate to what you're saying, Mr. Luck. Um, 
if when you go to Royal Ascot, you know that you're going to a a, a posh do. Let's be honest about it. And okay, the the jump finale at Sandown is not of that ilk, but we're sort of talking of of, of differences by degree, aren't we? Albeit quite a, a big chunk of degrees uh, from Royal Ascot to the to the jump finale. But I think I, I, I think people um, people know what people know what to expect. They should do even the Corbynistas like yourself. All right, Dave, fighting on racecourses. I don't know whether fighting is more widespread on racecourses now or whether it's just because they're being videoed, but that particular area where the fight took place at Sandown, I've never seen that sort of aggro in there before. And it's somewhere where I, as a, a kid and a student, used to hang out quite a lot and you'd never feel remotely unsafe there. It looked yeah. brutal on Saturday evening. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. That it, it's in a place that uh, one wouldn't expect to see it. Um, is it more prevalent? I I suspect it's probably not. You know, going back to the eighties when the pubs didn't close. Uh, sorry, sorry, did close um, in the afternoon on a Saturday. Lots of people used to go to the races and, and fight in the car park. I saw some 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 very nasty fights um, in the car park at Newmarket, and I'm not saying that with any sense of. Uh, levity or comedy they were they were really frightening things to behold for um i was a student at that time um i think that they're probably no more prevalent as you say they're all filmed these days because everybody uh, carries a, a movie camera with them uh, i i can't really add to this except to say what i've said before and that is that the issue with this is down to the race courses and it's whether they went whether they want to spend the money on a police presence or a strong police presence in this instance because that isn't going to come for nothing but you saw on this on the video there there were three security staff who were quite i think quite um understandably reluctant to get involved people sort of sneer at, at that saying well why aren't they breaking it up and you think well I, i'm working here as a security uh, on the security staff, that that brings with it, um, I think, certain functions that I do for my my stipend. But getting involved with a load of uh, coat up lads fighting with each other, I think, is above my pay, my pay grade, and I certainly understand that. But of course, if those uh, if the people fighting, if that is broken up by police and they're arrested and they appear. In magistrates' court the following week, and they ha with that comes the threat of losing their jobs, being put in the local paper, all that sort of stuff. I think that does act as a, a, a strong deterrent, but it costs, and that's where the problem lies. All right, Hall of Fame, two new inductees as of today: Frankie Dottori and Dancing Brave. I mean, like literally, no one is going to quibble with either of those. No, absolutely, uh, Dancing Brave certainly one of the the favorite my favorite horses of my youth and indeed one of my favorite horses even today um a magnificent winner of the 1986 pre de Lac, the triumph unlucky in the derby of course and winner of the 2000 guineas that was where it all started with uh, his three-year-old career well it didn't quite start there but you know what i mean um and frankie de Tori, yeah i don't think anyone would argue with that i suppose when when you hear that frankie de Tori has been inducted inducted into the uh, the hall of fame you think well i know you said indicted there but inducted is the word um you might say well hang on what wasn't he in there at the very start but there is a qualification here he is the first 
jockey who is still riding uh, to uh, to take his place in the HOF, that uh, being alongside uh, the late Pat Eddery and the great Lester Piggott. So, uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I have no argument with that. I'd love... I'd love it to stretch back further, pre the modern era, but that's because I'm a Fred Archibald. At Maze, we understand how important our outdoor spaces are. That's why we've developed luxury outdoor furniture collections to suit all homes. Browse our range at mazeliving.co.uk. Well, in conjunction with our friends at Maze, every day this week we'll be reflecting on a great guineas uh, of the past a few years and it's entirely appropriate today that we should focus on one of the one of the greatest guineas winners not just of the modern era but of all time dancing brave because it's today as you heard from dave a few moments ago that he's been officially inducted into the hall of fame uh guy harwood his trainer uh, joins me now guy it, i can never get enough of reminiscing uh, about dancing brave such a wonderful horse he was but i've gone back and looked at the at the tape of the guineas today and just what a special performance uh, that was in the context of even all all his others. Yes, he was an amazing horse because he was he was a champion at all distances. Very few horses uh, are able to be champions at a mile, mile and a half, and probably he would have been champion at six furlongs too. He had just a tremendous ability, and uh, uh, he was a horse of the decade. Uh, and it was a great performance in the Guineas. Um, it was only his fourth run, uh, and there was a lot of, uh, I don't know, if you look up time form, you'll see that they said in their in their end of two-year-old report that Guy Harwood had overrated Dancing Brave. We can see <laughs> nothing to suggest that he is as good as Har- Guy Harwood said. <laughs> I, I bet you really enjoyed that in the weeks and months after, didn't you? Yes, and, and Mr. McCrick uh, had said on television in the morning, he said, this horse is drifting. He's drifting. He's drifted out to four to one. There's something wrong. There's something that Harwood is not telling us. <laughs> so it was, uh, 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 I was very relieved when he won comfortably because I'm sure that Prince Khaled would have been asking me what, he, what I had up my sleeve that I hadn't told him. Um, we spoke quite a bit about the horse when we when we did the, the tribute to Prince Khaled uh, at the beginning of, of last year when when he sadly passed away. I, uh, what what really intrigues me from from your perspective, from a trainer's perspective, it's a slightly more technical uh, aspect of it, I suppose, is readying a horse for the guineas. We've heard today, you know, one thousand guineas favourites not going to make the race. You had a little bit of a setback. It's quite a fine art, isn't it, getting a horse ready for that that very early season peak. Well, it was in particular with Dancing Brave because it was the year in February, the ground was frozen solid for the whole of February. So we never went out on the gallops in February. Uh, so all the work that we did had to be in the indoor school. Um, uh, fortunately, it was a horse that didn't need a huge amount of, uh, of training. He, had a, he was a very finely tuned athlete. But I always like to give my colts a run before the guineas um uh, lots of people there seems to be more uh, more people today who bring colts to the guineas for their first run i mean they've probably been to the curra for a uh, a race course gallop or something like that but i just think it helps to put the edge on a horse to give them a run uh, a fortnight before 
the guineas. Uh, and you, you know, it's a good opportunity just to fine-tune them on the race course rather than at home. And was Dancing Bray the sort of horse when he, he'd absolutely bolted up in the guineas and beat Green Desert, who was one of the, the best speed horses of his generation, and he breezed past him like he was standing still? Was he the sort of horse you, you knew when he'd had a race? Did he actually put more in, or was he doing everything as effortlessly as it looked? I think he was doing it, uh, things as effortlessly as it looked. He wasn't, he wasn't a horse that, I mean, he, he recovered quickly because it was no effort to him to win those races. Um, uh, and, I mean, he actually had quite a, a, a strong program. I mean, he had, he had the prep race, the Guineas, the Guineas, the Derby, uh, uh, the, um, uh, the Eclipse, uh, the King George, a prep race for the Ark and the Ark. He had, a, he had quite a busy, uh, a busy um, schedule. Uh, the sort of schedule we could only dream about, I think, now- nowadays. Guy, thanks so much for, for sharing those thoughts with us and, and fond memories of the 2000 Guineas back in, uh, back in 86. Thank you for asking me. It was a pleasure talking to you. Create your outdoor living moments with Maze. Shop online at mazeliving.co.uk. Let me divert your attention to the No Dress Code Punchestown Festival, which begins tomorrow. The William Hill Champion chases the feature at 5.25 Tuesday, and it is the, re- well, I suppose it's the rematch. I mean, we never really got to see much of a match between them at Cheltenham, between Enegumen and Shaq and Poursois, the stable companions. Uh, they're two wonderful horses, uh, and then it's 14 to 1 bar the pair. So you can have the debate about small fields, uncompetitive, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, but they, are, they are two superstars. Absolutely right. Um, yeah, it's it's again the the opening day is going to be something one suspects of a of a Willie Mullin show, as you say. Um, no change there. Chacun pour soi was my selection in the Champion Chase, and um, it came down. I think when things were starting to get interesting. Of course, Shishkin had, had pulled out by that stage, and it was left to in argument to win that race it's it's going to be an interesting clash uh, between the two of them again and yeah it does, it's that's not the only that's not the only uh face off is it we've got sir gerhard and dysart dynamo he of course dysart dynamo came down in the supreme novices hurdle at cheltenham festival and sir gerhard here winner of the the ballymore over two and a half at cheltenham is coming back to two miles so yeah it's 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 a fascinating opening day at cheltenham uh, bob ollinger of course who was presented with victory at cheltenham in the uh, the two and a half mile novices chase the turner's novices chase uh, by the fall of of galapin deschamps he's back as well in the three mile novice chase for uh, Rachel Blackmore and Henry de Bromhead. So it, it's all interesting. One thing that um, you're, if you're looking for uh, British interest at the meeting this week, I think it's going to be relatively thin on the ground. Paisley Park, uh, very interestingly, uh, goes over to Ireland to run. Certainly look, talking to Paul Nichols, and I think this was this was not news at the weekend, but he'll have just one runner uh, this week, that being in the, the Gold Cup, uh, which is Clondis Oboe, the, the, the reigning title holder. And of course, I'm not going to rake over the, the, um, the, the non-clash between Honeysuckle and Constitution Hill. And Dave, as ever, your last job is to provide us with a winner this afternoon or this Monday afternoon or, or any other. 
it's this Monday afternoon and it's autonomy in the 305 at Southall. This is a six-year-old train by Phil Kirby. Uh, multiple winner, both at Fibersand, on Fibersand at Southall uh, in the spring of last year and on Tapeta. Then some so-so form, first couple of starts of 2022. Much better on Tapeta at Newcastle two starts ago and got squeezed out at Wolverhampton last time. Race off 53 here and I think that that is a mark that autonomy will find within range. 305 race at Southall Selections number five, autonomy. Dave, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Monday, April the 25th. We'll be back to do it all over again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.